Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt. Whether you're listening to us live at uh, FB, or what is it, twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, or hearing us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, thanks for joining us. Today, I have Scott Barrett from Fantasy Points joining, so we've got some really good stuff to talk about, kind of centered on interesting carry and target splits for running backs heading into your drafts for this year. But Scott, let's start with just how are you, man? Good to see you. It's been a while since I've had a chance to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Absolutely. And before we get too deep into the the nitty gritty of today's show, since we're kind of in camp time, preseason games are kicking off, I wanted to round up some of the news that I found that I thought might be fantasy relevant. And I'd say, Scott, your mileage may vary on how important some of these revelations are, but things that I thought might be worth discussing. So let's kick a few of those off the top. Starting with the Falcons signing running back Dante Foreman. Uh, Foreman is somebody that was once a third round pick. I think that might have been 2017. And so he had a lot of fam- fantasy promise before he tore his Achilles several years ago. Hasn't really worked out so far for him in his career. And I think the sort of the assumption would be that he's just going to be kind of a depth signing for this team without a lot of without a lot of depth. But given that Mike Davis has never entered a year as sort of a presumed bell cow back, I wanted to get your thoughts. Do you think that Foreman matters in fantasy and does it affect Mike Davis at all? Uh, no, I don't think it, it really matters. I mean, uh, Foreman had an all time great speed score, uh, mm-hmm. at his pro day, but yeah, like you said, the, the Achilles injury, that's, that's brutal. It's really tough to come back from, uh, uh, you know, yeah. 29 carries over the past three seasons. Uh, so he individually doesn't really matter too much to me or I'm not too concerned with him. Um, what does bother me with, with Mike Davis, because you look at him, you look at that backfield mm-hmm. and, you know, the competition really isn't, uh, isn't, isn't too, uh, too great. Um, but Arthur Smith, the head coach basically came out and said uh, a month or so ago, you know, we don't have a Derrick Henry here. You'd love to have that. We don't have that. So we're going to have to go, um, with a more of a committee approach, use our multiple backs. Uh, and so, uh, you know, reading that to me, you know, bump him yeah. down. I don't think he has the bell cow upside that, you know, a miles Gaskin might, uh, we're just at least like, you know, the, the coaches aren't coming out and, and saying it's going to be a committee approach. The tricky thing about it though, is that Foreman, I think you mentioned what's the up to like 118 career touches like ever in his career. Mm-hmm. That's still by far the most behind Davis Quadriolis and less than 50. You've got two yeah. undrafted rookies and Javi and Hawkins and Caleb Huntley. And then Corderell Patterson, who I guess to be fair, he has more touches, but he is a kick returner primarily and sort of a wide receiver too. So it's hard to come up with guys to split time with Davis, uh, I don't know. I'm just not sure that this running situation may be great. I like Davis, but uh, it's, it's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, it's also early in the off season too. Like, you know, no one expected Le'Veon Bell to get cut by the jets and wind up mm-hmm. with the chiefs or Leonard Fournette to get cut by the Jaguars and wind up with the Buccaneers. So, you know, who knows, you know, there might be some surprise cuts along those lines and uh, some more increased yeah. competition for Mike Davis. Okay, news item number two. McCole Hardman opened with the Chiefs' first official depth chart coming out is listed as the number two wide receiver. I don't know if you care about that, but he's currently just the 53rd wide receiver in ESPN ADP. So, Scott, do you think that that Hardman is going too late in drafts right now? Yeah, I think so. I think probably. I mean, just what's his upside 
uh, what's his standalone value as the number three receiver on the team? Uh, you know, that's that's pretty valuable, I, I think. And then what's his upside if there were to be an injury to Tyreek Hill or, or Travis Kelsey? I think yeah, I think that's massive. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think Hardman in his career so far, two seasons, 2.21 fantasy points per target. That's the third highest among wide receivers with 75 or more targets, just behind AJ Brown and Adam Thielen. So at least based on his previous career usage, the upside really seems tremendous, but I don't know how much of that is related to the fact that if he is coming in as sort of the fourth or fifth option on a play, that that may be dictating what sort of coverage options teams have against him or anything. Like, I don't know. Do you think Hardman has that type of peak, peak top 10 upside? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not, but um, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. So, so anything's possible. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. Okay, another receiver, another AFC West team, Brian Edwards with the Raiders. Uh, He's actually consistently been practicing with the first team offense ahead of John Brown, the free agent addition that I think we thought was going to replace Nelson Aguilar. I'll remind everybody had 82 targets last season, so was actually quite productive from a fantasy perspective for your deeper formats. Edwards is going super late in drafts right now, number 72 in wide receivers among ESPN and ADP. So, Scott, do you think that Edwards is an attractive sleeper? Or maybe is this news more important related to what you think of Henry Ruggs this season? Uh, well, I, I really don't like Henry Ruggs too much. Uh, and I do like Brian Edwards. So okay. my model, my wide receiver model last year had Ruggs as like the 15th best wide receiver in this class. And it had Edwards as like the fourth or fifth best wide receiver in the wow. class. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's not just like, you know, super uh, penalizing um, the hyper efficient low target guys because, uh, you know, my model loved Jalen Waddle uh, this past off season. But yeah, so so definitely like Edwards, you know, hope to believe in his talent. And, you know, John Gruden coming out and saying he's the next Terrell Owens or whatever he said, that's that, that definitely perks my ears up a little bit. You, mm. The immediate reaction from fantasy anal- analysts and, and fantasy owners is like, oh, you know, like coaches lie all the time. It's just coach speak, you know, it's BS. I don't know. I, I don't know because two years ago, trusting John Gruden paid dividends. You know, he told us Darren Waller was going to be his tight end one, was going to be given the chance of a lifetime. He said Darren Waller was, you know, one of the, biggest hidden gems in all of the NFL and uh, what happened? I mean, he, he absolutely smashed and he had a, a breakout season. So yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if, uh, if, if Brian Edwards was next up and, and what's going on with Darren Waller, he hasn't practiced in like eight days and no one has a yeah. reason why. Right. I saw that. Yeah. You know, there are a handful of other sort of preseason storylines like uh, Hunter Henry injured his shoulder for the Patriots. And I've been focusing on the ones that I thought were spilling into the regular season, but to be frank, I don't really know what's going on with Darren Waller right now. And so that, I mean, that could be huge, obviously, for his own fantasy value, but what it could mean for the other Raiders receivers. Scott, let me ask you a little bit about your model then, because this is kind of the first time hearing of this. For, for people listening or watching that don't remember, same draft as Henry Ruggs, Edwards goes in the third round of the Raiders. So that you, you would think that would say something about the preferences of the two players. But Edwards definitely, at least from a scouting perspective, seems like the more versatile player in that at six foot three, 212 pounds, kind of has the height, weight, speed of a, you know, a top tier wide receiver, whereas Ruggs may be a little bit more skewed towards, you know, explosive plays down the field or maybe catch and run opportunities or like a more narrow 
route tree. Is that, is that kind of the difference you're seeing here? Or are there other reasons why your model really prefers Edwards over rugs? Uh, yeah. So this is uh, my, let's say pre pre combine version of the model. Then once you factor in the combine, uh, you, you give rugs a, a bump up. And then once you factor in like a slight, I mean, the combine super overrated. And then when you factor in a uh, draft capital rugs gets a, a bigger bump up, but just like looking at all of the most important efficiency metrics and I guess counting stats and other advanced stats, um, the, the most important to me or the stickiest or the most predictive uh, yeah. Rugs just, you know, did not, did not stand out in a good way. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I'm predicting fantasy points um, with, with my model. So uh, being a possession receiver, that's going to be valuable. You know, some would argue his elite speed, just, just being there as a deep threat to, you know, keep the defense on their toes that, that brings incredible value to an NFL offense, but much less so, you know, fantasy points, uh, which, which, which granted, but um, yeah, definitely, definitely wasn't a big rugs fan uh, this past off season. I had Jamar chase as like maybe the best wide receiver prospect to come out in seven years. Uh, Devonta Smith was right behind him. And then my guy, Elijah Moore, uh, was right behind behind those two, but still ranking as like a top seven prospect over the top seven seasons, the the past seven seasons. So like definitely a high level quality prospect. And this was like a stacked, stacked, really good wide receiver class. Jalen Waddle was, you know, right up there as like really the very rich man's Henry Ruggs to me. Um, I mean, I think Waddle definitely did more at Alabama than Ruggs did, right? I mean, Ruggs was yeah. kind of classically small volume of targets at Alabama before getting to be the number one drafted wide receiver in his class. But I don't know. That's, that's interesting. And then for one last preseason storyline note for you, another receiver that was in that class, although not drafted, actually Marquez Callaway of the saints, according to Jeff Duncan of NOLA.com, he's been kind of the, the breakout star of training camp for whatever that's worth. But I'm wondering if it's worth a lot because Michael Thomas depending on whether you believe sort of the saints brass, you know, he kind of was ignoring the team through a lot of the early off season and got his ankle surgery very late in June, which then is going to bump him later into this season, probably going to miss at least three or four weeks. So suddenly the saints don't really have a number one receiver. Could Callaway be that guy? Do you think Scott? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I draft him over Traquan. I, I like, I, he's a Greg Cassell favorite. So he, he's certainly the, the one I gravitate towards the what's going on with the saints offense is, is sort of tricky and, and confusing and it's hard to predict, you know, who's, who's going to be the starting quarterback. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the Michael Thomas news should, um, you know, give the slight edge to taste him just because, you know, what he can bring on the ground uh, that added dimension uh, with the, you know, the poor receiving core. And then I think, you know, Kamara is going to get his targets no matter what uh, he's, their best receiver with Thomas out and then Troutman and then probably Callaway and, and Trey Pine. I, I don't know that he's going to be a guy you, you feel great about starting, um, you know, every week or in any given week, but yeah. um, he's definitely, I'd say the, probably the favorite for, for, or the, the, the best pick at value right now. Well, I mean, the value he's going undrafted in ESPN ADP right now, which right. that ADP, yeah you know, it's, it hasn't been that long since we've really figured out Michael Thomas's 
sort of prognosis here. So maybe it's going to catch up to that a little bit, but in your deeper formats, that may be a really, really good deep sleeper that you can go after even deeper than Brian Edwards, for example. So that's good. Um, Scott, before we get into the actual meat of the day show, I'll, I'll mention that Corvos on Twitch, he subscribed at a tier one for us. Thank you very much. We appreciate your support. And then getting into the main topic of the day's show, interesting carry and target splits for running backs. This is focused on some uh, Football Outsiders reports that are going to go up on Football Outsiders Plus, FO Plus. So please subscribe to that. These aren't up uh, quite yet the way that the last ones were from the previous shows, but we'll let you know when they are up for you. But basically, they're going to give you ability to do sort of overtime splits and other situational splits here to look at carries and targets and you know how much of a share are players getting, how many you know, carries per snap, all kinds of things like that. So we're going to kind of dig into a few examples of fun things that you can learn from that. Starting with Miles Gaskin, uh, the presumed starter for the Dolphins right now, who actually played a really high 68.8% of Dolphins snaps last year in the 10 games when he was healthy. That only trailed these players, Scott, Christian McCaffrey, David Johnson, David Montgomery, Ezekiel Elliott, Miles Sanders, Dalvin Cook, and James Robinson. They were actually ahead of guys like Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara, and Joe Mixon, among many others. So it's, you know, it's a really heavy volume there. You're getting the 4.7 targets per game, top 10 in this position. Do you think that Gaskin can be a bell cow back or has at least that potential to be such that, you know, maybe that should force his way into the top 20 in ADP at the position where he's not quite going just yet? Yeah, of course he has that potential. That's exactly what we saw last season from week five on until the end of the year. He averaged 15.7 carries and 4.5 targets per game. Uh, he averaged 19.7 fantasy points per game, 18.0 expected fantasy points per game, and a 69% snap share. Only seven running backs had a higher snap share. Only four saw better volume. Only three averaged more fantasy points per game over the full season. So yeah, you're, you're looking at, you know, RB4 production, RB5 volume, and he's going RB, what, 24 by yeah, 21 in ESPN ADP that I saw. That it may not be 100% accurate, but not in the top 20. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So you know, the the upside is clearly there. It's you know RB five at you know who he was last year when he was healthy, or you know maybe more realistically like low end RB one at you know a high end RB three, low end RB two ADP. Uh, so I, I think the risk is more than baked in, and I, I think he's a great great pick in, in drafts. So I'm, I'm a little bit of a mixed mind here because he's a little bit small. He's five foot 10 and 210 pounds, which slots mm -hmm. him in at a 28.7 BMI. I know we're getting a little bit dorky with that, but by and large, the backs that are bell cow backs are, are usually between 29 and 31 BMI. 28.7 would definitely be on the low end, but as sort of a counterpoint to that, Gaskin had 2.40 yards after uh, yards after the catch. Plus it's the best among running backs with 30 plus targets so, I, I mean, I almost don't even care if he's taking all the between the tackles work for the team. If he's going to be so active as a receiver, then, you know, maybe he can Alvin Kamara his way to a really big number. Although worth pointing out that, that Kamara actually is, is dramatically bigger than Gaskin, even though we don't sort of think of him that way. Like, do you have any size related thoughts for Gaskin? Uh, no, I think, I think that matters. I, I think it, but it really matters just in terms of what the coaches think. And if they think mm -hmm. a guy can handle or withstand that level of volume. And we saw last year, I, I mean, he, it seemed they thought he did whenever he was healthy, they gave him that work. Maybe, you know, he couldn't stay healthy and they're going to take it away from him, force a committee. But 
it, it's sort of like Mike Davis where, you know, we've seen it with this same coaching staff. Yeah. So that's like a big edge to him. And then the, the competition feels similar to me. I mean, like Malcolm Brown doesn't scare me. Salvin Ahmed doesn't scare me. Um, and yeah. Yeah. They're thin. I mean, both the Dolphins and the Falcons, they were probably the top two teams that everybody was surprised didn't draft a running back. Uh, but I guess, you know, once you got the Javante Williams, who went really early in the second round, those teams kind of lost their chance to swing at those guys. It just wasn't quite the same depth of the class this season. So that's well, he went the he went the pick right in front of them. They, they were yeah, going to no. take like, That's who they would have taken, too. don't you bet? Yeah, I, well, yeah. I don't know. I'm projecting, but that no, seemed they, like I that would have been a good fit. The reporters or, you know, uh, insiders, quote unquote, have have said that they were going to take Javante, mm-hmm. but they got sniped on the trade. Yeah. Well, I mean, good good news potentially for Gaskin's fantasy value. I guess we will see. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Philip, throw up the, the graphic here. We're going to talk a little bit about carries per snap leaders from last season, and there are a number of guys here that are pretty interesting. Uh, if you're looking at the table up on Twitch, like you'll see a lot of the guys you're probably expecting. I played around a little bit with the qualifiers here. So you also see some Jordan Howard types, but also players like, you know, Derek Henry, uh, Cam Akers. These guys were, were definite leaders, Dalvin Cook and carries per snap. But the guy that actually led the league with a minimum of six games last year was Damian Harris, who took a carry on 55% of snaps. Uh, again, that's the highest among running backs with six plus games played in I think we've all been a little bit nervous of Harris's fantasy value, even though we sort of see him as being, you know, a very effective real life runner, Uh, 9.9% rushing DVOA last season was top 20 at the position, but you're worried about, is he going to score touchdowns? You're worried that, you know, he only had a handful of targets last season. Is he not going to get the the sort of important types of touches for fantasy production, but seeing him up here in this sort of Derek Henry level of touching when he's on the field, does that give you more confidence that he can be, you know, a fantasy worthy running back. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, two, 250 snaps in 10 games, that's not great. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, in fantasy football and PPR leagues, a carry is worth 2.64 times. Uh, a target is worth 2.64 times as much as a carry in PPR yeah. leagues outside of the red zone, 3.1 times as much. Uh, so that it really is so much more valuable and, if you're not getting that passing work, you're going to be very game script sensitive, True. Uh, very week to week volatile, which is frustrating in a start sit league. That's, that's fine in a best ball league. Um, yeah. And with, with Damian Harris specifically, you're, you're hoping uh, Cam Newton is not going to be in the picture for long uh, vulturing those rushing touchdowns. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I could see him being, uh, you know, maybe a rich, uh, uh, maybe a poor man's JK Dobbins, something along those lines. Okay. Um, where good efficiency, um, I, I guess like LeGarrette Blunt from the days of old, where in games, New England wins by 10 or more points, you know, he's going to score 16 fantasy points, let's say, and then all other games, he's going to score like 11 um, or something along those lines. But He's not going to be in a lot of my start set PPR leagues, but I think he's a solid best ball pick. So what I think the thing you said about Cam Newton is kind of the most interesting point here, which is that given that Cam takes so many of the carries near the goal line and scores those touchdowns, Harris's ADP is not very high because you're like, you know, he's again, not getting catches, presumably probably not getting a lot of touchdowns, but when the team moves to Mac Jones, that really, I feel like opens the door for him to potentially score a lot more touchdowns. 
do you think that's going to happen at some point this season? And does that sort of change your perspective, knowing that maybe in the fantasy playoffs, when you might want Harris the most, that may be when he suddenly is a, sort of a flex worthy or maybe back in top 20 running back, maybe not in PPR leagues, but in standard formats. Yeah, again, I, I'm not really drafting him in a start sitly because I, I'm drafting my running backs early. I'm going RB, RB to start, or I'm going RB, RB, RB. And like, I don't really care about Damian Harris. Like you just said, like his upside would be, you know, a, a flex play or a you know, low end RB2, but like that's not at all valuable for fantasy. Like to me, a low end RB2 is like fairly worthless. I, I talk about this in Upside Wins Championships, I talk about this in Anatomy of a League Winner. Uh, there's like very few players who actually matter for fantasy and like a low end RB two is, is fairly worthless. Like that's not at all, you know, helping your team actually win games. Um, but yeah, again, in a, in a, in a best ball uh, that would have really good value where you get all of those spike games, those games where, you know, a new England wins, he has good game script. He scores a couple touchdowns. And you don't ever have to predict starting that. You just get all the good without the bad. And so New England's offense, I think, you know, Mac Jones coming in would be massive to a number of players. Just because, like, if you look at Cam Newton's numbers last year, he was Tim Tebow. He was, like, identical to Tim Tebow. And that's not good for, for his <laughs> receivers and the, the running backs. Yeah, vultured the, the rushing touchdowns. You know, get him out of the picture. That's definitely good news for Damian Harris. Uh, and then Mac Jones coming in would be really good news for one of my most drafted players, Jacoby Myers. Also have a good amount of Nelson Aguilar, you know, John, John Smith too. Uh, uh, Jacoby Myers though, I'll just make my little pitch on him. So uh, after the Julian Edelman injury, when he came in, became the starting slot wide receiver. Yeah. So like week seven until the end of the regular season, he ranks second among all players in receiving yardage market share. And you yeah. know how good that stat is, how predictive that stat is. And it's just like, no one, no one could tell because like it was such a bad low volume pass offense. Uh, but I mean, like he was, he was sandwiched in between like AJ Brown and um, or Devonte Adams and AJ Brown. So, uh, you know, potential high potential, you just, you got to get Cam Newton out of the picture. Yeah, so um, kind of, again, piggybacking on that thought, like, are we sure that Damian Harris doesn't have any receiving upside? Like, he caught the ball a little bit in college. He also is sort of a, you know, elusive type player that, you know, if you would just looked at, say, his combine measurements and his times, you would assume that he would be a little bit more versatile of a player than he was in his first year. Is that something that might change if Mac Jones was the starter too? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, he has... Five, five catches last year, yeah, nothing five. the year before. And it just seems like, like Belichick prefers to go this route where he has the guy who just runs the ball. And then he has his little scat back and James White, uh, you know, Sony Michelle was an accomplished pass catcher in college. I don't know if LeGarrette Blunt was, but he certainly didn't catch passes with the Patriots. So it just seems like a sort of, you know, these are their roles and that's the way Belichick likes it. Okay. Well, a couple other deep names from this, this carries per snap leaderboard, which I'll see if I can pique your interest as a player a little bit more interested in drafting the top, top guys. But A.J. Dillon of the Packers, uh, Jamal Williams is gone now in Detroit. He's vacating 150 touches. Do you think Dillon has just kind of replaced that and that's kind of what you're dealing with? And, you know, 
not much more than a flex consideration? Or do you think that Dylan maybe has more potential? Um, yeah, so I, I was doing my rankings for Aaron Jones and I kept like, I didn't, I didn't expect it to be the case, but it was like really one I struggled with. I just kept like waffling back and forth. Do I put him, you know, RB8 or do I put him whatever? Um, and like something that just stuck out in my mind was, uh, what was it? Week, week 16 last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones saw 10 carries and three targets. AJ Dillon saw 21 carries, carries and one target. And like, granted, it was a blowout, but even if you just look at the first half, um, Dylan only saw one fewer target while still out carrying Jones 10 to four. And it's like, crap, is there, is there a case that LaFleur just really, really loves AJ Dillon and wants to get him, you know, around 16 carries per game? Yeah. I think it's possible, uh, but I I don't think it's too likely. I I think Aaron Jones is just going to be continue to be, sort of inexplicably capped at like 60% of the team snaps. Uh, AJ Williams actually like, I mean, uh, Jamal Williams doesn't leave behind a ton of volume uh, in terms of like touches, but he leaves behind a significant amount of volume in terms of snaps. He had a lot of empty snaps for whatever reason. You have to think if those go to Jones, like those snaps shouldn't be uh, so empty, but yeah, I see like maybe, 10 to, to 14 carries and 0.5 target, maybe one target per game for AJ Dillon, uh, which could be valuable. You know, it, it definitely could be. That's definitely, again, like low end RB twos are, are fairly worthless to me and start sit leagues. Um, so I am, I'm, I'm avoiding him and start sit leagues, but you know, he, you know, he could be a surpriser. Uh, he's just like not the archetype I gravitate towards, which is, uh, a, a guy who's going to get maybe, you know, 15% of the backfield targets and 50 to 55% of the rushing attempts, but only, I don't know, 40% of the snaps or what have you. Um, so it, yeah, the, the, that's where I'm at with the AJ so Dillon. I think I can explain the weird Jamal Williams empty snaps um, by some measurements, and I can't think offhand of which one I'm talking about, but I've seen him where he's been ranked number one in pass blocking among mm. running backs. And that is something that's a clear weakness in Aaron Jones's game. And I don't really have a strong opinion about how good AJ Dillon is as a pass protector yet. And honestly, that may kind of make or break his value. But if you can assume that that may be something he's good at, that could be something that's bringing him onto the field, even though he doesn't necessarily have the versatility that Jones does. Meanwhile, I'll also point out that the Packers ran on just 18 of 48 plays within five yards of the end zone last year, 37.5%. Uh, only the Jaguars were with them under 45%, so like way lower than everybody else in the league. Finally, A.J. Dillon, 3.2 yards after contact per attempt, led all backs with, again, a small volume of carries, but he's a power back. The Packers didn't run a lot near the red zone, but could. It seems like he would be the guy that would benefit from that. And if he can, if he can block, then I think that, you know, that's a potential for him to have sort of even bigger role than Jamal Williams had, which could lead to some fantasy value, even while Aaron Jones is being successful. Yeah. I mean, they also just gave Aaron Jones all this money. They did. Uh, so I, I really do think they're just going to stick with him as being their guy. I mean, if AJ Dillon gets all the goal line work, that would be massive. I, I also don't know if that I, I see that happening just because Aaron Jones has been one of the most efficient 10 zone runners for the past few seasons. He saw 23 opportunities inside the 
10 yard line last year. Dylan only saw two. Um, but yeah, I, I typically don't grab the RB two in a two, two way running back by committee, unless it's at a significant discount. He do, he does have, you know, sky high injury upside of Aaron Jones should suffer an injury, but I don't see it as being as high as Latavius Murray, who I think has some standalone value as well. Um, or similar standalone value. I, cause you know, if Alvin Kamara goes down, he is top five upside. I, I think if Aaron Jones suffers an injury, I still don't know if AJ mm-hmm. Dillon's catching passes, but the two games Kamara missed two years ago, uh, Latavius Murray averaged like 22 carries, nine targets per game and 33 fantasy points per game. So I'm typically drafting him. I just don't think that, you know, the extra three carries to uh, for AJ Dillon in comparison to Latavius Murray is, is worth it. But I, I think he's a fine pick. So with, with your Latavius Murray belief, does that hinge on whether or not Taysom Hill or Jameis is the starter? Yeah. For standalone value, I think uh, it's going to be better for him. If Taysom starts is three highest snap games all came with Taysom under center. You saw different usage, uh, like a, a different sort of somewhat expanded role. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not really drafting either. Again, I, I get my, I go quality over quantity. I, I get my running backs early. I, I tend not to take, uh, throw these darts at these sort of running backs where you're hope, hoping someone in front of them gets injured. Uh, I really want those bell cows. I really want those running backs with, with high end, mid-range RB1 upside. So um, that, that's just where, that's just my draft philosophy. You can read uh, the bell cower bus. That's my running back strategy. You can read the bell cow report where I go into this, but that's where I stand. Well, then I've got the perfect player for you. And I'm definitely being sarcastic here. The third player that I wanted to bring up along these lines is Tevin Coleman of the Jets, uh, a player that uh, didn't play a lot last year, had several injuries that limited his ability to, but he did have one game with double digit snaps. That was week two. He played 30 snaps for the 49ers that week, had 14 carries <coughs> targets and has been a very effective player on a somewhat limited number of touches throughout a lot of his career. He's joined the jets with Robert Sala also heading over from the 49ers. And so do you think that Coleman has any potential value here or is, or is Sala maybe bringing him in as sort of a mentor to a very young backfield and one that wouldn't be as experienced with his personal system? Yeah, early on when I was drafting best ball leagues, I, you know, was a little surprised by Tevin Coleman's AP, which was, you know, basically undrafted or super low. Uh, because I was projecting, you know, at least like at least 60% of the rushing work to go to Tevin Coleman. But uh, we have an NFL insider on our staff over at fantasypoints.com. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the news or reports we've heard regarding Tevin Coleman have not been good. Basically, you know, it was, Hey, he's an interesting best ball guy. I wouldn't draft him. And Michael Carter is, you know, another to me, very mispriced guy, very safe guy. I guarantee you he's going to beat his ADP. I just like, that's a lock. And then what's his upside. I, I don't know. I think he has pretty decent upside. He's already playing exclusively with the ones. I think he's the RB one. And so it's just a matter of he's definitely going to lead the backfield and targets. And that's important for a team that's not good, you know, bottom five defense. They're going to 
trailing a lot. They're going to have to lean pass heavy. And that's his game. You know, he, he was a, a very good pass catcher in college. Uh, and then, you know, so what does he get in terms of rushing work? Maybe, you know, 40, 50, 60%. I, I think, you know, that's a, a, a more valuable role as the RB1 in this team than people realize. I, I think he has good upside. I, I think he's, you know, a, a great value at ADP. Tevin Coleman, again, you know, best ball, it's fine, whatever. I, I'm not doing that, but you could do that. Uh, but, but Carter, yeah, he's more of a target. Yeah, I think if you're not paying close enough attention to some of the preseason stuff, you can get thrown off the scent with Carter, which is, I think, maybe why his ADP isn't on the rise as much as you'd expect. With the Jets' initial uh, depth chart coming out, I think they listed Carter as the number four running back, which I think is just like Robert Sala is an old school guy. He's like, this is the rookie. He's going to have to earn his way. But like your NFL insider is suggesting ever fantasy points, it's like he's getting a lot of the work with the ones all accounts are that he looks like the most successful player so far in camp. And you would think he's the most talented, you know, like assuming that that Coleman is probably past his physical prime guys like LaMichael Perrin, uh, you know, have had a chance. They haven't really done much so far in the league. I think Carter could be sort of a, a very valuable running back getting, even with, if it's like 175 touches this season could do enough as a receiver to, to kind of boost his, his fantasy value. Okay, let's shift over to some guys that are a little bit higher up on ADP lists. I think maybe pique your interest a little bit more, I would bet. Uh, one of those is Chase Edmonds, who I was surprised to see um, with the carry shares tool that he took a carry on just 19% of his snaps last season. Basically, nobody else on a fantasy radar was below 25%. It sort of paints a picture that Edmonds like, has been a you know, James White-style receiving back are you worried about that now with uh, with James Conner on the team in Arizona as well? Or do you think Edmonds can really kind of contribute both as a runner and receiver that would prop up his fantasy value a bit? Yeah, he's another guy I'm not drafting. I have no interest in. Uh, so one of the big pieces I do every year is I you know, comb through all the post-draft press conferences, the interviews with the coordinators, the coaches, the GMs. And I try and look for meaningful takeaways. And for whatever reason, I don't even think – he was asked about the running backs, but Cliff Kingsbury day two or day three volunteered that he saw uh, James Connor as his Kenyon Drake, as his, we want him to be our early down horse and we want mm. Chase Edmonds to basically have the same role he had last year. So, uh, you, you know, his ADP has skyrocketed in comparison to, you know, the value he brought mm. to fantasy teams last year. Uh, so I really don't, I'm not projecting too much more work for him at all. Uh, if he hits and he could hit in a big way, you, you'd really need James Conner to get hurt, which granted he's always hurt, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, I'm still not taking him at, at his ADP. I think Cliff just likes him in that role and uh, you know, maybe a week or two with Conner out, he'll, he'll be a bell cow and he'll smash, but uh, I, I'm not seeing too much more work for, for Edmonds this year. Yeah, I'm in lockstep with you here. Edmonds is 25th in ADP among running backs on ESPN oh, right that's now. Crazy. It's just it's just way too high. I mean, you can get Javante Williams types that have like a real chance to be at least by the end of the year. I think top type of running backs. I just don't really see that with Edmonds. The only thing I'll say in his favor is that while 210 pounds sounds very light, he is only five foot nine. So like he's a little bit better built than than his his weight alone would indicate. So maybe he does have the upside to be you know an every down back, but I. I'll believe it when I see it, given a lot of the camp talk has been about how 
like both of these players are the number one running back in their mind. So I'm not sure that there's a differentiation the way that you would want for a player that's going 25th at the position. So, I mean, kind of crazy. All right. I, this next guy, I can tell this is going to be the one that you're definitely interested in. DeAndre Swift of the Lions. Very interesting splits from weeks one to eight and then weeks nine to 17 last year. That first half, 43.2% snap share, 28.3% carry share. That latter number, just 44th of the position. But for the second half of the season, that jumped up to 58.1% snap share and 57.9% carry share. So those are about even, plus the second number, ninth highest at the position. That kind of paints the picture that Swift could be, you know, like a, a bell cow type of back which would be hugely valuable given how effective he seems to be as a receiver. Do you see him that way? And does that make him like a top 10 type of fantasy asset in your mind? Yeah. So I, I don't see him as a bell cow. I think he should be a bell cow. I, I, but I think, you know, Anthony Lynn is a donkey and all he's ever shown us is that he's a donkey in February. He called Swift a three down back. And then in May, he, you know, he talked about, Oh, I have my a back and I have my B back and I, I'm going to use them both. Um, and then in June, he said he's going to ride the hot hand. Um, and it's just, it's just like not at all encouraging. I think this is going to be, unfortunately, frustratingly, a committee situation. I mean, I, li- I like Swift. I, I have him RB15 and he's RB6. Uh, all right. RB15 and he's RB15 mm-hmm. by ADP. Yeah. But he's also in my, like, uh, in the tier where I, I, I stopped drafting running backs, I go RB, RB to start. Then if I have a tier three running back who makes it to round three, you know, I'll definitely consider that, but he's, he's round four. So, or, he, or he's tier four. So uh, sort of avoiding him again. I, I like, I like him. I believe in the talent, uh, but Jamal Williams is there. I, I don't trust the coaching staff. Uh, luckily he's definitely far more valuable than, than Jamal Williams because he is uh, a competent pass catcher or more than competent pass catcher. Saw at least five targets and six of his final eight games. He averaged 16.5 fantasy points per game over that span. That's low end RB one production. Uh, and it's like, you know, like the jets, this is a bottom five team, probably bottom one team. So they should be trailing early and often. There's not a lot of receivers there. Uh, you have, you can feel good about, so you should get the ball quite a bit. And you're hoping for basically, I think like Austin Eckler light where he's, you know, sort of a, a wide receiver masquerading as a running back and then also contributing on the ground. So, I mean, I definitely agree with your point that that I think Jamal Williams is going to be involved here. I think that kind of syncs up with Dan Campbell, the new head coach's kind of physical mentality that he hilariously always projects, but also I think it might be really important for this team so Jared Goff had the biggest splits between his passing DVOA when pressured and when clean last season of any quarterback. So I think he's really a quarterback that needs a clean pocket. And I think Williams may be the ticket to help him make that happen. But even with that said, Lynn, like you said too, with, with Eckler, Anthony Lynn facilitated Austin Eckler being the number 13 running back with 16.1 PPR points per game since 2018. So maybe he like, maybe even though, Swift won't always be the primary guy in the backfield. Maybe he does have that potential in a lower volume. Or do you think that Swift have a chance to maybe be on the field a little bit more with Jamal Williams and say the Packers are willing to use Williams with, with, uh, with Jones at the same time? Cause I mean, who on the lions is going to catch the short passes. Goff isn't really going to scramble for first downs. They have 
Amon Ross, St. Brown, the mid-round rookie as a potential slot option. But a lot of the receivers are Rashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams, deeper threat types. They may really need to rely on Swift as an outlet. Um, I mean, they've got a good tight end, but I think they're going to need some guys to catch some short passes, right? Yeah, I mean, Quinnis Cephas is there too, and, and he's a player I, I thought was pretty underrated. He, he had that one ten target game in his uh, in, in week one last year, but then, you know, didn't catch many of those and, and didn't do much the remainder of the season. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Again, you're hoping for, you know, Austin Eckler light, which is sort of Kamara light, although he's, he's catching up to Kamara a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, again, at the end of the day, don't really hate him, but he, he's not a priority guy for me. Just, I, I think, you know, his upsides capped with Jamal Williams there. Yeah, so on the twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders chats, Vanderpool mentions that Derrick Henry's numbers are insane on that graphic. Very true. He's true. That's pretty much true on whatever graphic you want to put yeah. up there. Uh, I have a guy here that can maybe kind of track it a little bit that way towards that elite top five potential. Jonathan Taylor, kind of an interesting first half, second half split here as well from weeks one to 10 last season, just a 43.2% snap share, 44.7% carry share in Indy. That was 25th highest in the position. But over the second half of the season, that jumped to 60.9 and 64.3%, uh, fifth highest to the position. So do you think Taylor can kind of take that second half workload and make that the standard all season, which I think would justify a, a top five type of pick in fantasy? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he could definitely repeat that volume, but I, I don't think that volume justifies a top five pick. That's, that's not good volume at all. 61% of the team snaps. 64% of the carries. Like I, I have Joe Mixon projected at like, you know, 79% of the snaps and, you know, 82% of the carries, something like that. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a committee, that's a committee workload and you're not going to be drafting that top five nor, nor should you um, in real terms. What was that? What was that uh, volume worth? He, um, he, 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 he ranked ninth in fantasy points per game last year, but he ranked 19th in expected fantasy points per game. Like granted, he's a great talent. Uh, but that's, you know, that really hints at a regression to the mean, even though I do think he's already like probably one of the most talented running backs in, in football and fantasy football. Uh, he also over this stretch had, uh, uh, the second softest schedule of any running back, David Montgomery's was like insanely soft, but Taylor's was, sure. was right behind him. They were basically tied. Uh, Montgomery's schedule was worth a boost of about 4.4 fantasy points per game. And then Taylor's was worth a boost of 4.1 fantasy points per game. So basically like you want to know what Taylor Taylor's true numbers would be like a schedule agnostic. Uh, so over his final six games, just take off 4.1 fantasy points per game from his average. But at the same time, he has the overall softest schedule of any <laughs> running back this year. So good news for him. Uh, but Marlon Max also returning and the coaching staff there seems stubborn in their, their love for a committee approach. Uh, you know, Naheem Hines still stealing uh, uh, work in the passing game, which isn't good. It's going to make, Jonathan Taylor, uh, very game script dependent, very week to week volatile, especially with Carson Wentz um, dinged up and injured. 
Dr. David Chow put the over under at week six. Uh, so I, I think he's a great tr- solid trade target when, you know, he's underwhelming week four, week five, week six, you could trade for him. I, I'm not drafting him again. He's just an overpriced committee back. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, Indianapolis, you know, loses, loses four of their, their first six, whatever. Uh, and you know, he's really struggling with that, that poor game script defense is loading the box against whatever backup quarterbacks under center and, and you could buy low. That would be, that would be ideal. I'm interested by that opinion. So I'm obviously super worried about the short-term quarterback situation, which everybody should be and what that might mean. Remember, good quarterback play is the key to, to carry attempts, honestly, because like if you're down by multiple scores in all your games, then you know, you're not going to be running the ball. But I will say that it, it did seem to me that Naeem Hines' heavy usage probably also said a lot about Philip Rivers as a player that is always willing to dump down and, and throw the ball to the running back. That's really not been Carson Wentz's game a lot through his career. So do you think that that sort of committee that you're presenting, is that going to be the situation this year if you're playing with a totally different style of quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a good point. Uh, over the past three seasons, Rivers has targeted running backs 27.1% of the time that ranked behind only Drew Brees. Uh, Carson Wentz ranks like 28th of 40th. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a good question. It's sort of, it, is that just a role that the, the coaches want on the field? I mean, if he's not targeting running backs, like Naheem Hines is just what? Like running empty routes? Um, or not on the field? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That that's That's a good question. I, I still don't think that's, a massive boost um, for, for Taylor. Like ideally you have Taylor running those routes and getting those targets. Yeah. So like, I think this next running back situation is kind of similar to what you presented the Colts. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts about Antonio Gibson who had 3.4 targets per game last season, but just a 9.8% target share was 34th at the position between guys like Leonard Fournette and Josh Jacobs players. You don't think of as being sort of dual threat type of running backs. It's because J.D. McKissick, his teammate, 7.3 targets per game, first at the position, 20.4% target share, second at the position. Do you think that, that that's going to change this year? Like, it seems like everyone's expecting a big growth from Gibson this season, but I'm worried that if McKissick remains involved, that that's going to put a cap on what Gibson's providing through the air as a pass catcher. Yeah, so I, I'm definitely uh, predicting Gibson to, to make a major leap forward this year. Um, a lot of beat writers are projecting the same. Our insider is, you know, said he talked to the staff there and, and basically confirmed, you know, they're they're going to be phasing out JD McKissick at least somewhat. I really think if if he had stayed healthy, uh, he'd be a player we're all drafting in like mid round one uh, because we had uh, we we had uh, Scott Turner uh, say. Um, I forget what it was like early November. He said, yeah, the plan with Gibson, the plan all along was always with Gibson was uh, to give him more and more work down the stretch. His role is going to continue to, to grow as the, the year goes on. And then, so we start, saw that start to play out in week 12. He saw season highs and snap share carries. He saw 20 targets. He saw seven fantasy points scored. He scored 37. And so massive, massive week. And then what happened the next week? He got injured and he was never the same. He spent the entire 
rest of the season inactive or listed as questionable on the injury report. And so I think had he stayed healthy, we really would have seen this, this massive breakout, uh, you know, league winning stretch through the fantasy postseason. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but now we get him at a discount. And really the big question is, yeah, how much of McKissick's role do you take and give to Gibson? Uh, by my numbers, if you take, uh, if he gets 80% of McKissick, he's Christian McCaffrey. If he's 50% of McKissick's targets, he's, he's a top three fantasy running back, just 30% of McKissick. He's still top seven. And so remember with this guy, this is a converted wide receiver. He had like 30 career carries in college. So the big question is, can he, we know he's a good pass catcher. Can he, you know, be a competent uh, rusher? And like, boy, was he, you know, he, he, he didn't have much experience in that role, but he was awesome in that role. He averaged 10.4 rushing fantasy points per game that ranked ninth most 4.7 yards per carry. And, you know, coming out, the coaching staff uh, talked about him as sort of their Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, that's that's lofty praise. But uh, I, I think it's an important comparison. Scott Turner, Coach McCaffrey. So just like massive, massive bell cow potential. I think we're looking at like sophomore year David Johnson uh, type upside for Gibson in 2021. See, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more nervous about the situation than you are. And it's kind of coming from two places. One, you mentioned the injury last year, but I'll point out that he had 206 total touches last season. That was so much more than he's ever had in college. Like, did he even have 150 total touches in his career in Memphis? I'm not sure he did. I think we're really- He should have. I'm not saying he doesn't have a talent to. Like, from an efficiency standpoint, he was awesome last year in the NFL. Like, hard to do better than that, especially as a rookie. But it's asking a lot for him to suddenly be putting up 275 touches, the, the type of volume you would want to see in the NFL for a player that really has that type of Christian McCaffrey workload. The second thing I'll point out too, is that the Washington quarterbacks last season were like incredibly willing to throw the ball to the running backs. Number one being Alex Smith, who far and away led the league as he always does in, in running back target rate. I wonder if yes, Gibson is going to take over some of McKissick's, you know, target share, but will the overall running back target share maybe be cut in half with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, a player that has been much more willing in his career to throw the ball downfield. Plus you're adding a lot of new receiving weapons, including Curtis Samuel, who again has some of that, like from the backfield type of potential. Like I'm really worried that Gibson may not shoot up in the receiving game the way that many expect. Like, do you think either of those fears holds any water? Well, again, just give him 30% of J.D. McKissick's targets and he's a top seven fantasy running back by volume. And he was, you know, I don't know, RB like 20 volume and finished like RB 15, whatever. Mm. Uh, so hyper-efficient. Uh, does he get, can he withstand uh, heavy volume? I mean, he's a Jonathan Taylor clone. Like just pull up his combine numbers next to Jonathan Taylor's combine numbers. And they're basically the same player. So it, I, I feel comfortable given his size that, that he can withstand a heavy workload, though we haven't seen it. I, I, think, I think that's a good point that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, certainly isn't as conservative as Alex Smith. Uh, but at the same time, I expect the offense to be far better than it was last year. And that should help. You know, he's locked into that workhorse rushing workload. And so 
game script matters quite a bit there. More red zone drives with the offense being better. And so, you know, even if there is a dip in target volume, I think he's going to be on the field more, see more snaps mm-hmm. at McKissick's expense to, to, to make up for that and then better efficiency uh, overall and, and, and better, you know, more red zone volume, things like that to, to make up for that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. We got two more backs to talk about again, from receiving perspective to close out the show. First off, Austin Eckler, 6.5 targets per game last year was third highest, but obviously dealt with some injuries again. I'm wondering what you think about his fantasy potential this year, given that Justin Herbert has really exceeded expectations. And if you project any kind of development into year two of his career, or maybe one of the leading quarterbacks in football, is that going to really shoot Eckler up the board to where he maybe could even threaten, you know, number one player in fantasy potential or maybe top five in PPR? Um, yeah. I, so, so I don't know how much, you know, Justin Herbert's ascension matters to me. I, I think, you know, uh, mm. certainly the offense, if it takes a step forward, that's good news for, for Eckler. I, I mean, I don't see him getting very many rushing touchdowns, but, you know, at least maybe some uh, receiving touchdowns, you know, the more, first downs you, you convert, yeah. uh, the more, the more volume or whatever. The big th- concern for me with Eckler is Joe Lombardi, uh, the offensive coordinator there. I, I mean, g- granted he's, he's coming from new Orleans and he's compared him to Alvin Kamara. So, you know, I, Eckler has always been like Kamara light or, you know, very close to it. So ideally it's the same, but he also compared him to, Reggie Bush and Darren Sproles, um, you know, underutilized Darren Sproles um, when uh, when he was there in New Orleans, at least as a runner, he averages 4.3 carries per game under Lombardi. And then Bush was like severely underutilized. Uh, he averaged 15.9 carries with Detroit in 2013. And then that fell to 6.9 the next year when Lombardi came over. Um and there's just like other weird things as well, you know, reports at a camp that uh, uh, Larry Roundtree and Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly are all seeing a lot of uh, first team uh, uh, rushing work. And you mm-hmm. can say, you know, well, OK, those guys don't have their jobs on lock. Eckler has his job on lock. So, you know, get, get them those reps. Um, and yeah, yeah. Lombardi in, in Detroit, you know, had like a really gross three-way committee. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like digging too deep, but yeah, at the end of the day, uh, Eckler is Alvin Kamara light on a really good offense. Uh, he is that sort of like scat back on steroids where he's going to put up like borderline low end RB one, uh, or low end wide receiver three fantasy numbers as a receiver. Then, you know, high end RB two rushing production. So it's like sort of a cheat code. Yeah. Absolutely fair. Okay, then one more player to talk about, Giovanni Bernard, now with the Buccaneers. So LaShawn McCoy saw a target on 17% of his snaps last season. That was one of the leaders of the position, trailing just Naeem Hines, James White, and J.D. McKissick. But McCoy performed very poorly by efficiency numbers at Football Outsiders. I think was probably just kind of past his prime. I don't know, was he 33 or so years old last year? Bernard still seemingly in, in his, his prime, joining the team. My favorite stat is that Bernard has eight drops the last three seasons and Leonard Fournette had nine drops last year alone, including the playoffs, but still. So it's like you had two kind of primary ground guys in Fournette and Ronald Jones, neither of whom can catch the ball at all. 
and you bring in this very effective pass catcher, like how is that going to shake up the Bucks' backfield? And does it make Bernard a sleeper or does it just sort of, you know, affect your opinions about Fournette or Jones if it does? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that the pass catching back in a three-way committee is too enticing to me. So I'm probably not drafting Giovanni Bernard. Also, I think there was a report weeks ago that that said like right now he's the backup and you know I I don't know what that means but it just Mm -hmm. it just seemed like him being the scat back isn't at all a lock at this point in time uh yeah I I mean I think Leonard Fournette could have been intriguing as one of those like high upside dead zone RB plays uh I mean just look at the postseason last year he averaged 16 carries 5.3 5.3 targets, 21.7 fantasy points per game. He was playing on 74% of the team's snaps. He's, you know, RB 35 by ADP. And yeah. the argument you want to make is, well, he was the bell cow two years ago. He was a bell cow last year when it mattered most. So like, and he was great in that role. So why, why not just, why, why shouldn't he just keep that role? But yeah, you, you, you bring in more competition. It makes it less likely for, Leonard Fournette to hit, I guess. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not drafting Geo um, and probably not drafting Fournette, but because Bernard's existence makes them a little less intriguing. Yeah. Well, Scott, I really appreciated the insight. I thought this was a very interesting conversation. Tell all of our viewers and listeners where they can catch out all of your work at fantasy points or, or otherwise. Yeah. You can uh, subscribe to my website, fantasypoints.com. Uh, fantasy use points, promo yeah. code. 21 Barrett 10 to get 10% off your subscription. Uh, we have John Hansen, the fantasy guru himself, Graham Barfield, uh, Adam Kaplan, our NFL insider, Greg Cassell, the tape goat, um, Joe Dolan, Tom Brawley handles betting. Uh, yeah, check us out. And, uh, and yeah, that's it. Absolutely. I encourage everyone to, they have some great content, Scott, and really the whole team does a fantastic job. Then for everybody watching or listening to us, thanks so much. Please check us out for the rest of this offseason every Tuesday and every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv slash FBOutsiders. Aaron will bring the main show in this Thursday, uh, the FBO Radio Hour. And please subscribe and rate us um, at the Football Outsiders Podcast Network on the podcast app if you're choosing. Thanks so much, and we will catch you next time.